The second reading is from Romans 8, 18 to 25, and that's on page 1041. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, yet hope that is seen is not hope, because who, who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Sarah. My name's Dan. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, good to have you along this afternoon. Uh, as you might know, we're in this series of One Question for God. If you could ask God a question, what would it be? And today's question is, um, what's with climate change? What's a Christian response to climate change? Um, big question, important question, um, which we don't get to talk much about at church. Um, so I'm glad we have this opportunity to do so. Um, let's pray. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the question. God, we do uh, want to thank you for this chance to think on this important topic. Uh, we do want to thank you for the world around us, and pray that you'd help us know how we ought to relate to it better. So please help me in this next little while to speak clearly and helpfully. And we do pray you'd give us ears to listen and be changed. Amen. Uh, now, I might not uh, say exactly what you want me to say in the next little while or answer the questions you might want me to answer, um, but that's probably because uh, I'm not a scientist, I'm a minister, and so I don't have to answer that question. Woo, lucky me. Um, I will say uh, I, I think uh, this has become a political football, and often the politics gets in the way of the truth, um, so I'm not convinced that a lot of the truth that's out there is actually how it is, but that's okay, that's not what I've got to talk about. What I'm going to do is ask a broader question. And that's the question that the Bible does have something to say. And that is, what's the relationship between humans and the rest of the environment? And I'm going to often use the word creation because I think it's all created, but if that doesn't work for you, please just interchange. Creation, environment, that, that's the question. What's the relationship? Because the question of climate change fits within that, doesn't it? What, what have we done to creation? To, does, it, does it impact the climate? That's the question. Three points, the first one's short and probably pretty familiar, the second one's longer and a little complicated, and the last one's pretty practical. Uh, so first point is this, humans, us, we are humble rulers of the environment. Uh, if you want to flip back to Genesis 1, that would be very cool, it's conveniently located on page 1. In verse 26, God's finished doing or making a whole bunch of other stuff. And he says this in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl along the earth. They will be rulers over the environment, creation. And for many people, that's the end of the story. We rule. That's about all. Thanks very much. 
which of course leads itself very open to abuse, doesn't it? As we abuse, as rulers, as rulers sometimes do. It's a dangerous thing, but that's not at all the way that Genesis is talking about it, is it? Let me point out three little things. Uh, Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. You get the idea? We're created. I think sometimes we sort of kind of forget this, and we think that we might be rulers up here, and then there's the environment, which is somehow a little bit separate. Crazy thought. We know it's not true, but sometimes I think we operate like that, and we forget that we are actually part of creation. Now, a few years ago, I went up to Woolies in Neutral Bay. I was looking for bananas. I went to the banana store. No bananas. There's a sign that says, due to cyclones in northern New South Wales, we are temporarily out of bananas. And I had this little moment of, oh, yeah, of course, because bananas have to grow on trees and things, and we just forget that growing in, living in the city, don't we? We just think food turns up in little plastic containers. But no, we are part of creation. And we must, uh, therefore, rule our creation humbly. Richard Balcom, great theologian, talks about us as being part of the community of creation. We are part of the community of creation. So we rule with humility. Second point from, from Genesis, verse 31. Verse 31 is over the page. It says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. He stepped back. He looked at what he made and said, it's very good. I like what I've done. It's his precious creation. And he says, you people, you can rule it. That steward word that we were hearing about before. If someone has something that's very precious to them and they think it's very good, when they give it to you to rule, they expect you to look after it, right? This is the expectation. This is God's world. He thinks it's very good. He's given it to us. So we rule it carefully, humbly. And then then have a look at chapter 2 and verse 15. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. That word watch over can mean guard or care for. This is the kind of attitude we're to have, we're to guard it, we're to care for it, we're to watch over it. It goes on. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but... You must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat of it, you will uh, certainly die. I don't want to make much of what what he says. The point is, God says, there's limits. Right? You're rulers, but there's limits. And that's how it is for us. We're not free to do whatever we want. We rule humbly over God's good creation within his limits. Now, whatever you think of climate change, happening or not, Um, we must not abscond from our responsibility. God's made us rulers to humbly rule over what he has made. That's our job. We must not run away from it. It's not the government's job only. It's humanity's job, yours and mine. We rule it with humility because we're part of it. It's his. We rule it under him. We care for it. We guard it. Now, I find um, that some people in this debate, um, but also just in life generally, um, live as if then, you know, that they can live however they want and it has zero impact on creation. Have you met people like this? Um, people don't, mostly people don't say it out loud, but they live like this, and sometimes I live a bit like this. I can live however I want and it has zero impact 
on the world around me. The kind of people in the green lobby are like, no, 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 no. How you live has a big impact on the creation and the world around you. I want to, in my, in my next point, say, actually, the Bible says that, but more so. Creation is impacted astronomically, eternally, by how humans behave. So this is the second point I want to say. The environment follows, <clears throat> excuse me, follows the ruler. Um, have a look with me. Uh, you're still in Genesis. Look over at chapter 3 and verse 17. Um, Things have been really awesome so far in Genesis. The people have been in a state of purity, peace with God, peace with each other, peace with the environment, and and then we sin, we disobey God. And check out what happens in verse 17. God said to Adam, because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it, the ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, You'll eat, uh, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. You see what's happened there? What did the ground do wrong so far? What did the ground do wrong? Right, and it gets cursed. Is that strange? There's some very intimate connection between how Adam and Eve related to God and what happens to the rest of the creation, what happens to the environment. It's very, some very deep connection. I'm thinking of it as like the creation follows the leader. It follows its rulers. What happens with us and God impacts all of creation. We break our relationship with God, creation's broken. That might sound really strange. This is something I've just been thinking recently. There's a a very intimate connection here. And I don't quite get it. A little while ago, a friend and I, um, we grew up two doors away from each other in Lane Cove, Finlayson Street. That was good times. We both lived there till our mid-20s. And um, about 10 years ago, some developers bought both of our parents' houses, and the parents moved out um, and built this whopping great unit block on it. So anyway, we caught up uh, in Lane Cove. We thought we'd go for a walk. And so we walked down to our old place. And uh, we just had a little wander around. We let ourselves into everyone's back gardens. Because, you know, we thought, this is our land, you know? What are you doing building this massive thing here? And to be honest, we felt, both of us, it was very strange. We felt a little violated, you know? This is our land. This is where our memories are. We spilt blood here. We had fights here. We grew up here. We dreamed here. What's going on? Um, I felt a little like an Aboriginal, you know? This connection with the land. Very strange. So the, that, that was a bit weird, but the Bible says there's something, there's some connection between how humans relate to, to God and the destiny of creation, actually. Much, much deeper than the Aboriginals say, or what I said as well, what, what I experienced. Because we broke our relationship with God, creation's broken. The Romans reading said it is groaning. And that's the story for the rest of the Bible, actually. It's the pattern. How we relate to God and each other impacts on creation itself. It's a sad story, a sad beginning. But the good news is, of course, that God doesn't want to leave it that way. He doesn't want to leave the earth as being cursed. He wants to bless it. He wants to restore it. 
And so what happened? What happens in the Bible story? Because what's going to happen? It's going to follow the leader. Creation's going to follow its leaders. So did we as people restore our relationship with God so that creation would be restored as well? Is that what happened? Absolutely not. The Bible's a story of our consistent, persistent failure to actually live as we ought to towards God. And so creation just continues on under this state of curse, of groaning, cyclones, poison rain, pollution, sickness, groaning, not blessing. If you look out at creation and you think it's kind of groaning, that it's kind of choked to some extent, then that's what the Bible says. You're, you're in agreement. But friends, of course, this is not the end of the Bible, is it? This is not the end of the story because God wants to bless his creation. And he always gets his way because he's God, right? That's a good thing about being God. You get your way. You see, the Bible story is not a story about grabbing human beings out of creation and popping them on a cloud called heaven. It's the story of rescuing the cosmos. It's a story of rescuing it from decay and death and destruction. You see, this world was so precious to God. And he made it, and he said he's very good. You know, he loved this world, and he loves this world. And he didn't want it to just stay as a curse. He wanted to rescue. He wanted to do it. He wanted to refresh and restore it so badly that he did something very radical. He actually stepped into creation. He stepped in as the person of Jesus. You see, if the destiny of this world, everything around us, is caught up with its rulers, that being humans, but humans just can't get it right, what did we need? A new human. We need a new man, a new ruler that creation can follow, the Lord Jesus, who came, loved God perfectly in everything, ruled over creation wonderfully, calming storms, healing bodies, feeding the hungry. And the good news is that as the ruler of this world, the whole creation is following its leader. Its future is tied up with Jesus. And what's Jesus' story? Well, he died. <laughs> Doesn't start that well. But then he rose again. He rose again as a new New body, same Jesus, new body, refreshed, restored. Friends, we believe, the Bible, the Bible teaches that creation is going to follow its leader, the Lord Jesus. It's going to die, and then it's going to somehow rise again, be refreshed, restored. Um, this is not such a crazy idea. A little while ago, um, I was, um, it's a few years ago now actually, I was uh, walking around Medlow Bard in the Blue Mountains. You know the place? Medlow Bard, just behind the Hydro Majestic There'd been some pretty major bushfires, and I was walking down to the cliffs to do some climbing, and um, everything was charcoal. Like, there was nothing on the ground. It was just dirt and these black trees. Um, and yet, as you looked out, on these black banksias, these bright yellow flowers were bursting straight out of the trunk. And it was just beautiful to look at the blackness and these little spots of wonderful yellow. Life out of death. That's actually the story of the world. It's going to follow Jesus who died and rose. Somehow this world is going to come to an end and then be restored. And I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how it's going to happen. But I do know it's going to follow the leader. 
The leader is Jesus, who died and rose again. Now, you might be thinking, um, Dan, this is meant to be about um, climate change, and that's quite a kind of a practical thing, you know? Real animals, real wind and rain and stuff, and you're talking like spiritual weirdo stuff. Um, I'm not actually. I'm talking about a real man who really lived, really died, and really rose again. Um, and if you want to look into that a little more, please come along to our Alpha course. Uh, we'd love for you to look in, into that a little more. Although if you are wondering when the rubber hits the road about all this kind of spiritual stuff, I'm getting there. Um, but I want to say one more thing first. Um, and that's, that's this. When's it going to happen? Right, I've said that creation's going to follow Jesus, and he's risen. Creation doesn't look risen, does it? So when's it going to happen? Um, the answer is, it, it's waiting for us. Creation's waiting for us. Because we're kind of its rulers, actually, under Jesus. It's waiting for its rulers, us, to be entirely restored, and then it, too, will be restored. So, so if you can, flick with me to Romans 8. Um, that's second reading. It's on page 1041. It's exactly what this passage says. Looking at verse 19. The creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. So it's waiting for that time. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the, uh, have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Uh, labor pains, apparently our creation is in labor pains. Um, if anyone has experienced that, it's not fun, I don't think, um, especially for the women, but I found it. Worse than my wife. I think, no, that's not quite true. Um, they get hormones, apparently, which make them forget. The men don't. Um, it's the most traumatic thing I've ever experienced was our first child being born. Um, why would you ever have a second one, I ask you. Anyway, the answer to that question is obvious, isn't it? It's the joy set before you. You go through the pain for the joy, that eager anticipation. That's our creation, isn't it? It's in this labor pains, it's in pain, it's not good, but it's, it's anticipating. It's looking forward to the glorious freedom, the freedom that lies before it, the freedom of, of no longer being choked by pollution and being broken by natural disasters and anything else. Isaiah says, the wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom like a rose. And I can't wait. And I know many of us can't wait. But we need to wait. Because Romans says, creation's not going to be set free, restored, until we are its rulers. We go first. So when the Lord Jesus returns, he is going to transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious bodies. He will restore us, the first part of creation. And when we are our bodies are redeemed, 
and the rest of creation will be set free and it will rejoice. Isaiah says in another place, the trees of the field will clap their hands. That's poetry, but there's something true about it. Creation will be celebrated. Okay, so why have I rabbited on about this for so long? Um, Good question. I've got three points to make from this. Uh, The first thing is this. Christians are not terrified by climate change. We, we're not afraid. Um, we're not scared that the whole creation is going to be destroyed and humans will no longer have a place to live and that is something to absolutely freak out about. Yeah, creation is going to be destroyed. It is going to come to an end and God is going to restore it. That's true. It's not something we freak out about. That's point one. The second thing, um, some people say that if creation is going to be destroyed and start again, well, who, give, who cares then? Let's just drive our five-liter V8. Let's leave the air conditioning on 24-7. Who cares? Why recycle? What's the point? Well, that misses so many things, doesn't it? It misses heaps of things. But the focus here is this. It misses the fact that when Jesus rose, he was still Jesus. This creation we've got here, we can't just trash it because the one that's going to rise is the same creation, but totally renewed, totally restored. When you found Jesus as earthly Jesus, you didn't think, well, I can treat that guy however I want because he's going to die but rise again. You can't treat this creation however you want just because it's going to die and rise again. In fact, the very reason, like we honor Jesus because he rose, don't we? Shouldn't we honor creation because it's going to rise? It's going to be restored? Third thing. Probably the most important point I want to make from this is our connection with the environment. Some people give the impression, either by the way they speak or live, that it doesn't matter what humans do. The environment is not impacted. Now, I mean, I think it's just foolish, but the Bible is saying to us, actually, there's a connection between humans and environment, which is just far beyond what any green lobby ever said. And there's something cosmic going on there. And whether that's somehow still happening today, I don't know, ex- I don't exactly know how it all works. But in a more basic way, I know this, I know this is true, um, that as we love God, um, we will love creation better. How we love God actually is going to have implications for how we relate to creation. And that's my third point. That's, this is the third thing. For Christians, we are partly restored rulers. Um, so we are part of creation. Um, Jesus has died and risen. Creation is going to follow him. Um, and if we're, if we're, as we trust in Jesus, we're part of that as well. We've died with Christ. We've risen again with him. And as we have risen with Christ, we have been restored in our job as rulers over creation. Um, The job's only half done. The renovation's begun. It's not complete. We're only partially restored. But we are to be the rulers, humble, responsible rulers over creation. And the thing I've been thinking about this week is, um, okay, what should that look like? How how should it look for Christians to care or to, to rule over creation? And I guess I thought, well, it should be like how God rules because we're made in the image of God. How does he relate? What's the big thing for how God relates to his creation? 
Surely it's one word, L-O-V-E, love, you know. Surely that's the big thing. In the beginning, before there was anything, God decided to make stuff. Why? Because he was lonely, right? Now, he's a trinity. He's a community. He doesn't need, doesn't need the world. He made stuff because he loves. He always loves. I was, um, on Monday morning, I was sitting outside, and it was a little bit chilly, but there was this sun was really burning hot, and it was, it was beautiful. I actually had this little moment where I was thinking about this topic, and I realized the sun shining down on me actually is, actually, a little bit of God's love shining down on me, and not just in a poetic, funny way. It's God loving me, giving me heat from the sun. He loves And just as he's loved us, we ought to do the same for creation. Not just each other, but also creation. We ought to love it. And what what should that love look like? Well, what did it look like for for God? Provision and a cross. Costly love. Um, Friends, I don't have to tell you this, that um, being green is costly. And we often don't like to pay the cost. Um, I don't know if you've heard this kind of experience. Um, heard this, sorry, attitude, I certainly have, Um, things like this. Government, we want you to fix the environment. You've got to spend a lot of money fixing the environment. What? You're increasing our taxes? Are you crazy? I'm not going to vote for you. You know this kind of attitude? This sort of thing? Our government, we want you to plant more trees. Don't make me rake up leaves. Seriously? I don't want to rake up leaves. You know, I want to have more green power, but I don't want to pay anything extra for my electricity. This is very common, right? This is, this is what is going on. Friends, the Bible says love is costly. I heard some research recently um, that if you put online, uh, on, on like Facebook or something like that, some sort of environmental kind of, um, you want to have some movement, you want to make some sort of statement, you know, the people who are most likely to press like are the least likely to do anything. Called slacktivism. But the Bible tells us love is costly. We've been renewed as rulers, and that's going to cost us something. And I want to talk just very, very briefly about a few things that we could do that's very minorly costly. Um, but before I do that, I want to say something else first, because this is how love works. When you actually love something in a costly way, I find I end up appreciating it more works with people. I think it works with the environment as well. Um, so I was at my, uh, my mother-in-law's place the other day with um, some of my boys, and we were cleaning up a little bit, cleaning up some weeds, trying to, trying to love her yard. And as we were doing that, we noticed a passion fruit flower. Have you, I don't know if you know these guys. They're really attractive little things, purple with white bits around the outside, sort of poking out there. And we just, because we were kind of in the garden, trying to do stuff, we noticed it and we stopped and we We had joy in appreciating it. We sort of felt the love. We noticed, and I enjoyed, the the way that it's designed, that the the bee flies in and he drinks the nectar out of the bottom of the flower, and as he's doing it, the stamen sticks on some pollen onto the bee. And the pollen, which is flower sperm, um, the the bee then flies across to another flower this is so clever. And, and the, the pollen comes off onto the stigma and runs down uh, into the ovum and, and uh, it gets the egg and, and the fruit starts. 
and you get a fruit and the flower drops off and then another creature comes and eats the fruit, which is delicious, and it goes a kilometer this way, does a poo, and the seeds go into the ground and you've got a whole new plant and the whole thing's brilliant and looks amazing and everyone wins. Isn't that great? Isn't God clever? And we would not have noticed it if we hadn't been stopping and actually serving creation. Um, But as we love it, we appreciate it. So, I promised a few really tiny practical things, and here they are. Um, If you can go green, do. You know, green power costs a little more. Turn off your lights and air conditioning if you're not using them. Use a clothesline, not a dryer, if you can. Write on both sides of a piece of paper before you recycle it. Walk when you can. And that's pretty well the end of my sermon. (laughs) You know, like, it's a big deal, big stuff, but actually look at the websites, they say if we can all just kind of work towards these little things, it'll really make a difference. And friends, we're responsible. We're the rulers. We've been restored in this. It's our world. We're part of it. We're called to do these little things. Some of us, like Byron Smith, Anglican minister over in the eastern suburbs, are going to go and chain themselves to trees in old-growth forests and stop the bulldozers. Great. Now, some people here are a bit greeny. That's fine. It's great. I don't expect us all to be. God gives us all different kind of callings, and that's a good thing. We can only have one or two causes each. But can I encourage us all? We're all part of this creation. We're all the rulers. Let's all take care. Remembering, we don't have to freak out. God's got it. It's all going to die. It's all going to rise again. But we care for it. It's going to be costly. But God's loved us just like that. He's loved us in a costly way. Um, There's one other thing that we can do for creation, um, and that is pray. And it's something I never do. Um, Jeff led us in a prayer earlier for creation, and I thought we might pray it again together. Um, so that prayer is going to come up on this screen, um, and we'll pray together, and I'll invite the band up, because straight afterwards we're going to ask God um, to hear our prayer. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for filling the world with beauty and bounty in the cities and the country, on the coast and inland. You blessed the first humans and commanded them to fill the earth and subdue it. You supply seed to the sower and bread to the eater, but we and our ancestors have mistreated and damaged the environment. Even our best efforts have been tarnished with ignorance or self-interest. Please continue to bless us with a fruitful world and sustain us with the resources we need for life. Guide the nations and large corporations to seek cooperative and responsible ways of caring for the environment. Give individuals the willingness to play their part in being wise stewards of what you gave us. May we look to you as the creator and sustainer of our world and give you glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.